I don't know if you've ever seen the series where professors give their last lecture. You know, it's their final word to their students. And often these are profound of just a lifetime of learning. And so this is Paul's last lecture. Preach the word. I remember the first time I preached on this particular passage almost 40 years ago. I was just getting ready, prepared. I had just been accepted by Wycliffe Bible Translator. I was, I was finishing my training in linguistics and anthropology. Next step was I was going to our field training and then I would be heading to Southeast Asia. And there was an urgency in my life that I got to take the word to people who had never heard. It was exciting, and Paul's last lecture resonated with me because perhaps not in that context preaching the word, but making the word available for others to be able to share it to their people. Forty years ago, I think I learned a lot of things since then about preaching the word. There's an urgency here to today for that word to go out to the world. The question is, there are so many voices today clamoring for our attention. The news in Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you all know new apps that we boomers just don't get into. <laughs> How do we make our word, God's word, stand above all of those? How can my words ring true in a society that distrusts public discourse? How can my words have an impact in the lives of people when so many people have been hurt, disillusioned, discouraged, and outright have rejected the church? How can my word ring with authenticity and authority in an Instagram world where people put on their best face? How will our words ring true, ring real? I am convinced if we're to preach the world, we must first become the word to the world. I am convinced that people are looking for a different way to live in the world, one that they can find peace and hope and joy. I am convinced that people are looking for something different, something real, something authentic. Perhaps so many people have rejected the church or left the church or are indifferent to the church is because we speak the word but don't live the word. Do we go from church do I go from church hearing about generosity and then give a track instead of a tip at Sunday meal? Do I go from listening about kindness and then get irritated and impatient as I wait in line for Walmart and then am rude to the clerk? Am I go, do I go from church hearing about grace and yet when I'm standing in line for customer service and talking to the clerk who can't resolve my problem? I get angry. How does what I hear and how I live, if they're in disconnect, how do my words then ring authentic? You know, in anthropology, 
I do do more than linguistics. <laughs> but when we're doing ethnography, the study of a people, we talk about experiential authority. It's the authority of our data that we've gathered because we've experienced in the presence of people the events, dialogues, interviews that we are now recording on paper. My words have authority because I've experienced these events. My words have authority because I've participated and learned a new culture. My words have authority because I've sought to understand and live in a new way among a culture. The lessons I've learned over the last 40 years between when I first preached and the word today is we have to become the word. And so what I want to talk about today is just maybe three lessons that I have learned about becoming the word that have impacted my life. And I'm sure that we will continue. Dallas Willard talks about the kingdom of God as not the upside down kingdom, but rather it's the right side up kingdom. He says, what is in the gospels, what is in the word is the way we were supposed to live. The problem is our world is upside down and all of our lives we've been flying upside down. And you know what happens when ducks fly upside down. They quack up. <laughs> okay, so if you're wondering why you are cracking up and why this world is cracking up is we were meant to fly up right side up, but we live in an upside down world. And so it takes time to learn to fly right side up. And we have to learn to live the word. It's a journey that we have to be committed to, that we are going to train to live this word in our lives. As many of you know, or some of you don't, I train for Ironmans. If you don't know, that's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a 26.2 run at the very end. Actually, running a marathon after the, during an Ironman is a lot easier than standalones. I think one thing I enjoy about the Ironman, most people can't just decide one day that I want to do an Ironman and then jump the next day and do it. It's about seven, you know, if you're slow like me, it's about 17 hours. You have to finish in 17 hours. But they, the body is not designed to move with intensity for 17 hours. You have to train. One of the things I like about the Ironman, you don't become an Ironman when you cross the line, although they declare you are an Ironman. The training is when you become an Ironman. You become an Ironman through weeks of training and hours of being on your bike and in the pool and on the line. And so for us to become the word, guess what? We get to train. We become part of a community, but then our lives become the word as we train. So let me highlight three steps that I found in my life I took the first is encountering the word. Think back when you first heard about Christ. Was it word preached or was it alive lived? 
What made the most impact on you? I encountered the word during my college days on the, on the college softball field. I was playing softball um, as a student athlete, and I was out for my third season. I had debated, but we had a new coach, and she's somebody who you just went, yes, ma'am. But what was interesting that year, a new gal was trying out for the team. She was trying out for my position. I wasn't particularly concerned because I was the all-conference catcher. But the coach asked me to train her in case I got injured. So you do what the coach says. So I had to spend many hours with this gal, Judith Ross. But she was different. She was always cheerful. She worked harder than all of us. You know one of those people you go, just slow it down. <laughs> she loved everyone and everyone loved her and I wanted to find out what made her tick. You know, I had enough background. She wore a fish, you know, t-shirt and I knew that she was a follower of Christ and I thought, I'm gonna figure this out. So we spent hours talking. Finally, we became roommates and so what she did, I did. I wanted to become like Judy. Right? So she was starting this 10 Steps to Christian Maturity book, and I'm a little competitive. <laughs> so I thought, I'll do the same thing, but I'll do it faster and better than her. <laughs> and so she skipped the first book, which was How to Know Christ Personally. So there in my room, going through this book, I was overwhelmed with the love of Christ and wanted that love in my life. But I encountered first that love through Judith. Later, my coach saw as I struggled that who was going to be first in my life, softball or Christ. Softball had been my life for, since I was eight years old. And I struggled with that, and I had to make some decisions that my coach was not particularly happy about. But one of the other things is I began to be discipled by someone who is totally opposite me. I'm very tomboyous, and she was very frilly. You know, pink. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? She came to every single softball game, home softball game. She knew nothing about softball. I had to say, no, it's not a softball. It's just larger. It is really hard. It will hurt. <laughs> but she came to every single home game. Do you know by the end of that year, half the team had become Christians? Her presence, her love, her just loving on us. She didn't have to know about softball. She just loved us. Tomboys, all of us. You know, what's interesting is I went, graduated, I began my training, and just before I headed off to Southeast Asia, I happened to stop back at my university, my coach was there, and I said, hey, let's go have coffee. Turns out she had just come back from an appointment with a doctor, she had cancer, and we just spent the next hour. You know, I was intimidated of her, but Lord Spirit just, and we just talked. There was a little Bible bookstore right in the same shopping center. I said, could I buy you a Bible? She said, yeah. Went off to Southeast Asia. Three years later, I had a former teammate now working for YWAM in a neighboring country and said, hey, can I come visit you? I said, sure. And we're talking. She says, have you heard about Coach? I said, no, what about Coach? Last year, she walked down the aisle and gave her life to Christ. And she said a lot of her reason was because she saw me struggling as I sought to begin to live this new life. 
We don't know how our lives are influencing people, but people encounter the word first by our lives. They see something different in us, a new way of living, a new way of loving people. And they say, I want that. And so we encounter the word. The second way is encouragement in the word. I was a new Christian when I went to Southeast Asia, as I said, three years of Christian. So I'm going off and I'm assigned to a group, actually I asked for it, that had been Christians 40 years but still didn't have the word in their language. So what I didn't know is usually you go and kind of work alone and work with translators. We had a sponsoring agent to pay translator's salary, but because it was a, a closed country, I thought, well, we need a committee to kind of make sure it continues if I don't get a visa this year or next year or the year after. And so I went around look, and then there was a, a elder who just had the same vision, and we. Long story, we met up, we formed a translation committee, and then we have to figure out who's in charge. First time, we have to check translation, we send it out to readers who have been trained. First time I did it, handed it to individuals, nothing got done. I'm just like, oh, good grief. How are we ever gonna get this done if after six months you haven't done any of the reading? I didn't say that out loud, I, but they had to figure out what to call me. They couldn't call me a missionary, couldn't call me a pastor, and so they called me Ali which means younger sister. You know how scripture talks when Jesus says, who've left, you, you get brothers and sisters and mothers. And I got those in this committee. They decided I was younger sister, they were in charge. Next time we had a translation checking session, they all called everyone. We had about 100 people there because they believed that they needed to do it as a group, do it visibly so the church could see the progress on the translation. But then they saw that the church was a sick church, so they decided to have revival meetings. They checked translation from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, then from 8 o'clock in the evening to 4 o'clock in the morning. They had and revival meetings for them. You just preach and sing until everybody's had their turn. So we'll have one sermon, then we'll have singing, then we'll have a witness, then we'll have another sermon and singing and singing and more singing and until everybody's satisfied for the night and then we start it. So two weeks this happened. The last night this whole church was fact and I asked the pastor of the church, I said, tell me because you know I wanna verify what my friends are telling me about it being a sick church and he says, yeah. I'm from a different language group. I knew I couldn't reach the Tagal. So I'd just been praying, and the, this committee is the answer to my prayer. You see that group of 50 young people who were singing in a choir? That has never happened before. And in that moment, I sat in the back of the church, and I realized this is what God intended, Tagals, working Tagals. And I get to come along for the ride. We began to have every two times a year during school vacation where teachers, the most educated part of the project, could come and we had revival meetings and we saw people burn their black magic kits and be baptized. First it was 25 and then 75. And this continued till the end of the project. One of the things about Younger Sister is I learned I was not in charge, which meant I had to wait for the toggles. And sometimes they did things in a way that I would have never expected. One of the process of translation is we have to um, take it out to people who've never heard before. In other words, we have to check and make sure that people who weren't socialized in Christian language could understand the translation. 
So normally, we would go out and take it out and read it, but I was in a country that I couldn't do that, and so I tried to explain to the committee what we needed to do as we went through the progress of translation, and we, several months, kept talking about it, nothing. Then we had this chart about the progress, and we were getting close, and there, there was one column that was still blank. Finally, one day in the office, and drinking coffee with the chairman who called me a younger sister, he was my brother, and we drank a lot of coffee because you don't have appointments, you have coffee and then you can talk about things. We're drinking coffee and finally he points up to that. He says, you know, you told me about this check, you know, th this process, could you explain it to me again, what this is? And so I said, well, it's where you take the translation and go out to people who have never heard it before, read to them and see if they understand. What a great way to do evangelism. We can't go up to older people and preach to them, but we can go up to them and say, Uncle, is this good toggle? So I think, yeah. So two weeks later, I had to go to the city, and I came back, and came back to the, the translation office, and here are these two young guys, and I said, and Jimmy says, well, these are your readers. I said, my what? You know. The people who are going to go out to the villages and read the translation and see if people understand. I'm going, okay. Well, their way of doing the reading is they were going to send these two guys out. They picked 14 villages that were very hostile to the gospel. Um, they didn't let people up in the longhouse, which is kind of primary hospitality. And so they decided they would go to these 14 villages. Every day they would go to a different village, read translation, just have a question and answer the whole day and just go to the next village and read through the translation, ask questions, get feedback. They did this for two years. We read through the whole New Testament in their checking section. Finally, Christmas Day, Jimmy, my elder brother, said, okay, they're ready. Christmas Day, 300 people were baptized and seven churches were planted in those 14 villages. Not the way I would do it. But being part of this community, I learned how to live the word in a way that people saw it as authentic. You know, sometimes people send, God sends people we never expect, but we need. One of the good things in this Christian life is we're not alone. I remember um, often I would work with a translator doing extra checks. I would make notes of things that we were gonna change and then I would need to input them on the computer. And we had to have so much ready for this two-week checking session where we would go through several books together. And I was just getting behind, and I knew at this point, if I spent 24 hours a day for three weeks, I still wouldn't get it inputted into the computer ready for the checking session. I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And there aren't many people who could help because they needed to know English and Toggle and the national language. I couldn't think of anyone that I knew. So as I'm just going, how am I going to get this done? I hear this knock at my door. You know, we don't have telephones or anything, right? So out of the blue, I'm going, I'm way out, like five hours way out there. And um, here's the former missionary to this group who just happened to be visiting and said, how can I help? And I'm like, the one person 
who spoke English, the national language in Tagal, just showed up at my door. <laughs> one other story, one of the things we have to do when we're finished with the translation for it to be consultant check, so we have somebody check our exegesis. But to do that, they don't usually know the, you know, Tagal. Um, they're, they're, they check several. So we have to translate the whole New Testament back into English based on the Tagal translation. Okay, when I started doing that, it would take me like two hours to do just four, four chapters. I'm just like, oh, I'm never going to get it done. So my director said, hey, we're having a, an intern from actually Wheaton College, and you know, she wants to do the linguistics. How about if she comes out to your village? She'll be here six months. I'm like, great. Well, she had a project she had to do, so I worked with her. She de designed a desktop publishing uh, manual for our secretary to do um, songbooks and that kind of thing. But then she was a speed typist. She typed 100 words a minute. So two hours every morning, I just sat with a toggle translation and read it back in English as she typed it. In six weeks, we translate, back translated the whole thing into English. You know, you know, they don't tell you, they tell you it gets really hard when you publish a translation, they'll tell you about the last year of working on the translate. Everything went wrong. I mean, I could list things and it finally, but the final thing is I'm back in the city getting the translation ready to take for, at that point we had to go to, the, to another country to get the, the ready for publication and I'm getting it all printed out, ready to go and two hours before I'm finished with the New Testament, my computer dies. And I lose about a week's work because we were just getting ready and I'm ready to quit. I'm just like, Lord, that's it. That's all. I'm done. And I'm sitting there, you know, crying and just going, I can't believe this is happening. And, and as I'm crying, I'm remembering all the people who had been part of this community as we worked on this translation. You know, the translators and the readers and people who gave up their vacation for five years to work on this. And I said, okay. Opened my computer when I got a new one and uh, finished. Later, a month later, when the, it was done, it was photo-ready copy coming off the printer. The translators and I were just standing around the printer. I'll never forget one of the translators with tears in his eyes picked up a page and said, with this, we can harvest. This, people who had lived the word now had scripture in their language to preach the word. The final way, so the encouragement of people living the word. And finally, the endurance to live the word. Perhaps you're like me and read like verses in James 1 and you consider it pure joy, my, my brothers, when you face trials of any kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance with fish the work in you. And every time I read those, I tend to go, okay, Lord, nope, I'm good. Right? Don't you? It's like, mm-mm, nope. But three years ago, I felt compelled to really dive into literature on spiritual formation, particularly, again, rereading re Dallas Willard's, um, learning, really practicing spiritual um, disciplines. I knew, since the Lord was preparing me for something, but I didn't know what. Two years ago, we discovered my husband's aorta was leaking and aneurysm was growing. 
we repair it or he dies. See, he had a dissection in, eight, in 2008, and they've been monitoring the descending aorta for the last several years. Then we were in California, and they discovered that the aorta was still leaking despite the repair, and they did an open chest to repair it. And during that time, he had a spinal cord infarct, which paralyzed him from the waist down. And so this year has been a learning year for me because it's not just that, it's dealing with multiple people, dealing with multiple issues. It seems like anything that could go wrong tends to go wrong. And then I happened to pick up Dallas Willard again. One of the books, things he says is, trials are one leg of the golden triangle to spiritual formation. I'm like, oh, okay, I get that. But what he also says is, so is the Holy Spirit in the spiritual disciplines. I don't know you, about you, but I've never really connected spiritual disciplines with trials, how that works. But one of the things I discovered is God's pretty smart because he uses the same principles that we use in Ironman training. Thank you. Let me tell you a secret. One of the secrets I learned about training for an Ironman Training never gets easy because you have to stress your body to improve. So training never gets easier. And, and when you get that head in your, that idea in your mind, you begin to enjoy the process, okay? Because without that stress, you don't get stronger. And if you don't want if you want training to be easy, you fight the process. Okay, here's a secret. Life does not get easier. You know, you're going, oh, when I'm out of school, hallelujah, no more papers, no more, guess what? <laughs> here's the secret, doesn't get easier. Because God wants you to become his word, and we do it through the discipline of Every day, it's not the big trials, it's the every day having, you know, waiting in line at Walmart, having to wait for it, having to get your order wrong. I mean, it's the little things. You know, look, I don't know what it is. God likes to surprise me. We go to a doctor's appointment and suddenly we're in the ER because David needs two pints of blood. You know, and how do I respond to that? Oh, by the way, school doesn't get easier either. Writing doesn't get easier. Ask me, I've done three doctorates. It does not get easier. You get better. Your writing gets better. You begin to understand how to structure. School doesn't get easier, but you get better. So one of the things I've learned that in these spiritual disciplines, they're the way you deal with trials. I have a day off every, every week in my training, total rest because our body needs to adapt. Guess what? One of the disciplines is, is Sabbath, right? Because we can't keep going all the time. We need to give our soul rest to be able to handle the trials that come our way. Part of training, and this is something, you see these guys running across the finish line, right? And they're all smiles and everything. Guess what? They're hurting as bad as us. <laughs> 
But here's what training helps you do. It helps you become comfortable with the uncomfortable. It helps renew your mind to look differently at the discomfort. And so scripture, reading, and prayer, and memorization gives us ways of looking at trials and inconveniences differently. The other thing is you have to, in the middle of pain, be able to get your mind to be calm, not panic. You know, a lot of people panic in the swim, and I've just learned, start slow, get in a good space. You know what prayer does at the beginning of the day? Prayer in the middle of the day, just pausing, remembering who God is, inviting him into the presence in the situation. There's so many times this last year, I've just had to say, Lord, I am desperate. Lord, I don't know what to say. And it's amazing how the Spirit gives you the words and the patience. They go, wow, I, I didn't come over that. Um, to live this different life. My world has shrunk a lot. And so how do I live in a way that preaches the word as I interact with people and deal with trials and live. You know, we have the same kind of tools in our spiritual disciplines, the Holy Spirit and the trials to become the word. It will never get easier. Life doesn't get easier. But we we discover and learn a new way of living in the world. We learn to fly right side up. And as we live the word, our lives preach the world, word with authenticity and authority to a world who needs Jesus Christ. And so I leave you with this world, and I think Paul knew that. Paul lived this world he was ready to cross the line where Christ would say, well done, you have finished the race. But he had become the word in the process. So I say this, live your lives in a way that preaches the word as you go about everywhere, every day.